0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the great opportunity that we have to come and worship your name and who you are. We pray today, Lord, that you would just open our hearts and open our minds to the Word of God and the things that are most important, which is the Word of God, and the things that you want to teach us through it. We pray today that we all leave with a a better sense of who you are and a greater knowledge of what you've done for us from the cross and throughout your whole life, and even today as you stand as the advocate for us before the Father in heaven. We thank you, and we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory, today and forever, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me open up my Bible here. I have my favorite bookmark in that one. Um, a little introduction into the, the, the epistle of Philemon. It was written by the Apostle Paul around 64 AD. It's one of the epistles commonly called the prison epistles. Since Paul wrote it while he was in prison, he was either under house arrest or he was actually shackled to a guard in a prison. And um, this is all described in Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. The theme of the epistle is Onesimus. He's a participant here. He's a slave from Colossae, and he had robbed his master, and he had run away. Um, And then he, he ended up going to Rome, and while in Rome, he ran into Paul the apostle. And he's converted to Christianity by Paul. And similarly, Philemon was converted to the Lord by Paul also. So they have a common thread. So through Paul's teaching um, and, and everything that he's done as uh, Philemon now, he's ready to send him back, back to Colossae. And hopefully he's going to feel that um, Philemon is going to accept him and embrace him, and we're going to look at the verses that talk about that this morning. So, but the epistle has pra- priceless teaching in the uh, practical righteousness, doing what's right, Christian brotherhood, one to another, being open to each other. Christian courtesy, a courtesy of, hey, his your fallen brother, but now he's risen. And uh, we both have, all three of us have that in common, he's saying. And then the law of love, loving one another and forgiveness. To love comes forgiveness. So the first three verses is an apostolic greeting, and I'll read them one at a time and we'll go through that way. And there's a few that I combined that we'll do together. But in the first verse, it says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. So we look and we see that Paul didn't consider him a prisoner of Rome or of circumstances of why he was there or of the Jewish religious leaders that trumped up charges against him like they did against Jesus, and they put him in jail. So his shackles to him were badge- of his office as an apostle. And we know he was an apostle because he saw Jesus and he was taught by Jesus after his encounter on the Damascus Road. He went from persecuting the Christians to being the advocate, number one advocate of teaching what the word of God says and what people should know about the Lord and a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's how we were. We were fallen, were raised up to the Lord, accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and now we're a follower of Jesus Christ. He's leading, we're following. Okay, sometimes we get that mixed up. I know I do. You know, I say, okay, I'm going to go right. now. I want you to go left. But I really want to go right, Lord. And then you're kind of stubborn. I'm Irish, so I got a, um, a head full of granite here. It's tough to get through. So he addresses Philemon as a friend and a fellow worker also, um, which is kind of interesting. He's making it personal. And um, he's beginning to um, describe this letter in a way that he wants to get the confidence of Philemon, but also he wants to get the idea of who Onesimus is as well as as, uh, Philemon. So go to verse 2. Also to Aphia, our sister in Archippus, our fellow soldier in this church that meets in your home. Aphia probably is the wife of Philemon. Um, in the customs of that time, she would have been ahead of the slaves, or the supervisor of the slaves in the household. So the content of the letter also concerns Athia, you know, because a husband and wife talk about things, and Paul knows that this conversation will probably happen, and he wants somebody else on his side, so to speak. So Archippus was probably the son of Philemon, And later on in in Scripture, we find out that he became a leader of the church in Colossae, uh, which is in the country of Asia Minor at that time. The the country today is Turkey, that part of the world. Uh, He mentions fellow soldier. The common bond between Paul and Archippus, they were both in service to the Lord as Christian soldiers for Jesus Christ. And remember the song, Onward, Christian Soldiers, a great song. We're all soldiers for the Lord, men and women and children that know the Lord. We're all out there marching to the gospel and giving it to people as we can give it on any given occasion. Um, so we look and see the earliest Christians had no property of their own of church buildings. And, uh, and Paul mentions that the church met in the home of Philemon. So the Christian met in people's homes. There was many homes. It's kind of like what we do in a home fellowship and things like that. You go to China, you go to Asia, you go to Russia. There's no churches that are really Christian churches because it's against the law and people get thrown in prison. So uh, what you see today is hundreds, hundreds of home fellowships underground and people putting their life on the line for the Lord. So one of those homes was Philemon, but the Jews had synagogues. They had synagogues in a building where they could go and worship and stuff like that. But this is the separation from being a Jew and being a Christian and not dragging any of that of a law back into Christianity, which a lot of them tried to do. We learn that in Galatians in the first couple of chapters. So go to verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word grace here is a feminine noun, charis. And here in this verse, it means merciful kindness. It's a special meaning. And the word peace here is a a feminine Greek noun that says Irene, E-I-R-E-N-E. And here in this verse means peace between individuals. So Paul is painting a portrait here. You know, he wants to say, look, you need merciful kindness. You need to look at Onesimus this way. You need to look at each other that way. And peace between individuals, three individuals here, Paul, Onesimus, and Philemon. So he's, he's webbing. He's beginning to get this thing going. So the fourth verse, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. As a friend and fellow worker for Jesus, he was thankful for Philemon and let the Lord know um, it as well as letting Philemon know. You know, he's thanking the Lord for for him. and And he's saying, look, I'm praying for you all the time. I'm remembering you in my prayers. That's what we do for each other, you know, here in this church. I mean, we pray for the sick. We pray for different intentions, people having surgery or something like that. But in reality, we should all be praying for each other on a daily basis because we're all in the battle. We're all coming against the wiles of Satan every day. And we can only be strengthened in this strength in numbers. And to know that people are praying for you is one of the greatest things that you can have. I mean, it gives you confidence. It gives you a feeling that you're not alone. The Lord's with you, but it also gives you the feeling that with you is the church that you're at and the people that go there and the fellowship of the believers. In verse 5, because I hear about your love for all those holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word has, had, had uh, gotten to Paul, obviously, in Rome that Philemon was strong in his faith. You know, in those days, you didn't have a telephone, you didn't have a computer, you didn't have Facebook, you didn't have any of that stuff. So it was by word of mouth and messengers coming back and forth from Rome to Colossae and people knowing and hearing about things and understanding what that is. And um, obviously he, he realized his love for the, the Christians in Colossae because he had a home fellowship and he was actually the leader of the home fellowship. And so and, and in reality, uh, when you hear about those descriptions, it's really the foundation of all effective evangelism, because it overflows from the people that are are touching and changing people's lives. And we all have encountered that, that have accepted the Lord. You know, there there was always one person or a group of people that was always there that you could see by some way, by their example, by whatever was going on, that they truly were Christians. They had something that you didn't have or I didn't have, and we wanted it because we saw the joy that was in them the joy that goes beyond understanding. And when you get that, it's like the greatest gift that you could ever get because then you have peace and understanding and, you know, you have confidence in in doing the things they have to do for the Lord in life too. Verse 6, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. The word share here is the Greek noun koinonia, You've heard this word many times, I'm sure, which is sometimes translated fellowship. But here it's translated sharing. You know, the koinonia between individuals, the sharing of the word of God, the sharing of, of things that go on in the faith. And why do we share with others? We do it for Jesus, to share the good news of the gospel to as many people as we can. And then we're called to do that. You don't have to be an evangelist, but you can do evangelism. You know, you can be out there, you can be doing it for whoever, your family, which is probably one of the toughest things to do is a family that isn't saved. And, you know, they know, in my case, they know who I was. And now they see who I am. But, you know, they can always point back to the days that I was a rebel, you know, running away from the Lord. I spent more time running away from God than than running towards him. So, um, verse 6. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective and in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. The word share, I just read that verse a minute ago, sorry. It's koinonia. Verse 7, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Paul says joy. Notice it doesn't say happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness comes and goes. But joy... Joy is long lasting. It's like the joy of seeing your baby born the first moment. It's like, wow. It's, it's incredible. You just can't believe that God put this little one together inside of a woman, and there he is, or she is, and they're out there in the world now. And they're tender and all of this. And that gives you joy. And the joy of knowing the Lord gives us joy a bigger joy than we could ever imagine. Encouragement is part of it also. We all need encouragement in our faith and actions of our fellow believers can bring that about in us. They can be a great encouragement to us. The people in this fellowship can encourage one another. They look and somebody's down. You come over, you pray with them. Um, And it's putting the Lord in the right place in the right situation that way and pointing us towards the Lord Um, and and leading us to, to go and do things in his cause and in his way. Uh, beyond the church itself and we see that here see people going to cambodia we see people going to the mall and witnessing we see people going like pastor bill goes to africa did you ever notice what he looks like before he goes he's like on fire the guy's face glows because of the joy that's set before him he's going out to do it he loves it i mean i'm like wow and you just can see it you know but that's what these things do for us And then we see the people that are out there, and we can work with them, and the Lord works with us, and it's really um, an affirmation of the things that we know that we can share with others and see the actual result of it. So the next um, verses 8 through 21 are the intercession of Paul for Onesimus. Verse 8, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love, is none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So this is a loving appeal. It's better than an authoritative command. Paul is a, in the hierarchy of the church. He can command them. He's an apostle. Um, but he doesn't do it that way because he understands uh, you can stir up more loving sympathy by love than you can by giving somebody an order. The military does the orders. Do this, do that. You know, and after a while, you're like, man, I've had enough of the orders, you know. But it doesn't work that way. And in real life, as a Christian, it should work that way. It should work where loving sympathy and things like that. In this case, he wants loving sympathy of Philemon to Onesimus in in both ways. So, um, So he's basically saying, before I tell you what I want from you, Philemon, remember, I'm an old man. He's looking for a little sympathy here. An old man and the prisoner in chains. Paul spent a lot of his time in prison, a lot of his time. He got stoned and all this stuff, an amazing man. And God gave him, who was a, an incredible Jew and a knowledge of being a rabbi, he gave him the tremendous knowledge of how to teach to the Gentiles and understanding the word of God. So Philemon one ten here that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. So now Paul is defining his request for Onesimus. He's getting to the point. He's built up this little thing up front, and now he's trying to go for it. He's, he's taking the first steps. So Paul refers to those he led to the Lord as his children, and he does that in Galatians 4.19. And um, it's a term of endearment. You know, we call our children sons and daughters. We have names for them. We have nicknames for them. We give them, you know. And uh, as friends, we have the same kind of thing going on. But it's always a term of endearment which shows a a feeling of love and a feeling of, um, you know, I'm behind you, that kind of thing. And it gives us a lot of grace and a lot of um, ways that we can go about our business every day in a better way. So we're going to verse 11 to 12. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending whom, him who is my very heart back to you. We have kind of a play on words here. Um, the meaning of Onesimus means useful. And Paul is saying, well, he was useless before he came to the Lord, but now look at him, he's really a useful uh, person for us to use in the faith. So prior to his conversion, and now his conversion He's useful in a fellow soldier of Jesus for both Philemon and Paul. You can use them either way. He can stay with me or he can go back to you. He also indicates that Onesimus is the very lifeblood to Paul, where he indicates Onesimus is his very heart. You hear people talk about the heart and soul of a church or the heart and soul of a, a business. You know, it's that person that... Um, just generates the, the best things within that place and within those people. Um, this is the loving compliment uh, given to Onesimus as being necessary and an integral part of Paul's ministry. You know, Paul was in chains, he was in a, locked in a house or he was locked in a jail cell. He needed somebody to go around and do the things he needed to do deliver epistles or just deliver the word of God to people outside the prison and things like that, or to get a letter off to somebody. Uh, Verse 13 and 14, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do not seem forced but would be voluntary. So Paul continues to sweeten the appeal to Philemon in three ways. If he stayed, he could help Paul on behalf of Philemon. You know, he could be working and doing the duties that Paul needed in the church. If he stayed, he could help a man in chains. You know, again, you know, I can't do these things myself. I need somebody's help. And if he stayed, he could help spread the gospel all over Rome and the different places that he would go to have to do it. So in verse 15 and 16, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while while he Was that you might have him back forever No longer as a slave But better than a slave As a dear brother He is very dear to me But even dearer to you Both as a fellow man And as a brother in the Lord So he's appealing for him Based upon being a brother in the Lord And a fellow man And a fellow man in service Perhaps the reason This is what he's really getting at The separation of Onesimus From Philemon was greater Than the circumstances Of a runaway slave Uh, In other words, God is working here, Philemon. He's doing something in the life of all of us. And we're seeing this going on with Philemon. There's a larger, more spiritual objective here. And we see that in our life almost every day. We see problems come along. We see people in trouble. And we kind of look on the surface and see what's going on. But what's really going on is what's below the surface and above it where the Lord's working. And that's what we should always be looking for is what's the Lord doing here? How's he working? How's it going? Um, Onesimus is now a brother in the Lord. You know, you have a brother. You have a sister or brother, and you get closer to each other. That's how this fellowship is. We're called sisters and brothers. Um, And we're to come together and work like that and work as a family and and do the things that the Lord has called us all to do. We all have different gifts, and and God can use us in different ways. But together, Jesus is the head. And we're the parts of the body that are moving the things that are going on in Christianity, in this church, in this community, you know, wherever it is, in our families as we can do it. So um, he's, um, God was working in the escape from Philemon. It wasn't just that he got away. I mean, God had to allow that to happen, and he got over there, and he's met with Paul. And then, you know, Paul was preaching the gospel to him. So he's no longer a slave to sin. You know, he was a slave physically, but he was also a slave to sin. We were all were slaves to sin before we come to Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying he he can be your Christian man who works beside you for the Lord. He can come beside you and help you. Um, Verse 17 and 18. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. So this is Paul's request for mercy for an He's saying, are we partners? Excuse me. Are we partners? Saying, you know, do you believe what I'm saying, Philemon? You know, are you going to take that to heart? Are you going to come and make that work for us? That kind of thing. So if we are, then receive him as you would me. You know, treat him like you would when I come to your door. And he probably treated Paul with a lot of respect and honor because of the position he had in the church, but also who he was. And even more than that, this is the man that led him to the Lord. We all know that person that planted those seeds and watered those seeds and looking back in our life and we think back and say, wow, thank God put Put people in my life like that, you know. People would hand people tracks. I know that. I used to get them. I got them starting at six, 15 years old, and I never opened it up. And then, as I went through life, I didn't come to the Lord till I was 39. And um, um, and I basically was in the Catholic Church, and I blew out of there at 14 because it was just I just didn't understand it, and everything was a mystery. I ask a question, it's a mystery. I said, man, everything's a mystery. It's like a you know, detective novel or something. But, um, but as life went on, there was other people that were put in my path. And I'm sure you have the same kind of story, that somebody at work gave me the four spiritual laws. I said, okay, cool, I'm not ready. Put it away. And I kept on putting these things away until um, one day I, I, I went for an interview for a job and the guy actually said, do you mind if I pray before we talk? I'm like, okay, you know, I I didn't know what what he was going to do, and he did. It was a simple prayer, but that one like hit me with a sword right in my heart, and I thought, wow, I wonder why I feel this way. I wonder what's going on, and he happened to be a strong Christian guy, and um, so anyways, I was around him for a while, but Um, Circumstances were there Where God put other people in And I ended up at Horizon At church Big story goes with that But And then I even had met Mike McIntosh And I met him on the side Of a football field My boys were playing football And his girls were cheerleaders And uh He came up to me And he smiled And he hit me On the shoulder like that Hey buddy How's it going You know I thought he was a little wacko I I thought This guy's too happy This guy's too joyful And um so I said, man, it's good to see you, you know. And then I ended up at Horizon on a Sunday morning. I walk in the door. People are running around with Bibles. People are singing. And I'm like, whoa, this is a little too much for me. And about two minutes later, a guy comes up to me and whacks me on the shoulder. That's That same guy. And I thought, I wonder who this guy is. And uh, so I start walking out. And a, a little woman, about five feet tall, comes over and cut me off. And she grabs me by the hand, and I said, no, no, this isn't really for me. And she said, no, no, come on over and sit down. So I sat down, and I thought, okay, I'll respect her like I would my mother, you know, or any woman that would go out of her way to do something like that. So I got through worship, and they, they read the word and things like that. And then I see this funny guy come out, the smiley guy, and I look. I say, who is that guy? He's the pastor. And I'm thinking, man, I really got to get out of here. But in five minutes of him speaking, I knew that he had something I didn't have, and, that, and, and that's kind of like what Paul's saying here: is these are the things that people can do now that you know the Lord. Um, so, in, in dealing with Philemon and dealing with Onesimus, he's saying, um, in other words, forgive him. The Lord's not holding your sins over your head, so why should you st- still keep the things? that previously done to you by Onesimus over his head. You know, we don't know what he stole. We don't know what he did. But, you know, here he is now. He's an equal in the Lord. So you've got to get rid of that. You've got to take the eraser, you know, just like Jesus did. Man, it's gone. It's gone. Um, but he knows this man is a criminal and deserves punishment. Um, but I stand behind him or beside him to take his punishment. Does that sound familiar? Um, Jesus took our place. Isn't this what Jesus did before our master, God the Father, in heaven? He came and he stood in our place. He did more than that. He was risen in our place. He was put on a cross, and he died for our sins and our transgressions. So the, the offer uh, for grace and mercy from you to Onesimus is the same that God gave to us. So you've you got to forgive him. You've got to say it's okay. You know, And uh, we should never forget that with dealing with anybody you know we always run into somebody that's really like bizarre or even uh, just plain evil and you know we pray about it we look at it and we say well how do i reach out to somebody or things like that and god will show us a way but we shouldn't put a judgment on that person because in reality we were that person maybe not in the same sin or anything like that but we were sinful. We were born sinful. When we come out of the womb, we're sinful. It's hard to believe a little baby, beautiful little baby is sinful, but it's true. And, um, and the thing about that is it's our job as parents and grandparents and stuff like that, as these children grow, to lead them to the word of the Lord, lead them to salvation, lead them in a way that they understand Jesus as a personal Savior, as a person that they need to know for the rest of their lives. Because we want everybody to go to heaven. You know, we don't want somebody lost. Because when they're lost, they're lost forever. And they don't have a, an opportunity when you leave this world to come back and be saved. And, you know, the example of that was the guy outside the door, of the rich man, and they end up in Abraham's bosom. And the man says, uh, you know, <clears throat> send uh, Lazarus back, you know, and let my family know that, you know, this is where I am, and said, no, no, you've had your chance. This is it. You only have that one opportunity. While well, you might have a lot of opportunities, but, but before you die, you, you have to make that commitment to Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you don't live spiritually. You live spiritually, but you don't live with the Lord. You live someplace else. So verse 19, um, I, Paul, am writing, this with my own hand I will pay it back not to mention that you owe me your very self so he's trying to put a little squeeze on him here you know it's like your brother-in-law coming up and saying hey I cut your grass last week you know what do you think you know something like that or um, or just like but who do we owe our salvation to we owe it to the Lord the Holy Spirit would open us up you know and that's a miraculous thing i mean when the when the Lord comes into your life it's it's absolutely amazing you know, and you think, "How did I ever do that? Well, it wasn't you, it was the Lord, and He knew that you were going to do that before the before we were even on this earth, you know, which is something awesome to think about. But when you live your life, you realize and look back that in fact that you know that He was there. those circumstances that you can look back and say, "Boy, the Lord really helped me there, and I never really realized it. Or, you know, he saved my life. I should have died in a car crash or if I was a soldier, you know, why, didn't, why wasn't I the one that got shot and this guy beside me got shot or something like that, you know. Um, so by signing the letter, um, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. By signing the letter, it becomes Paul's IOU to Philemon for the value of what was stolen from Philemon. In other words, if you want something um, of what you stole, I'll pay you for it. I'll give you that thing back. That doesn't mean anything. The thing that means something is where is he now? So reality are really what is your loss compared to how an has turned around, how he's turned out. And we can all look at that even in our own lives and say, wow, it's amazing, you know, that. I could go back and see my friends from high school or college or whatever, and they'd look today and say, like, man, this isn't the same person. said, so I have the potential for it, you know. That sinful nature comes up to grab that old flesh. But because I know the Lord, because I study the Word of God, because I come to church and Pastor Bill teaches me the Word of the Lord and, and people give me an example of how to live my life, it's because of that why I look different to people, you know. Uh, But he really didn't need an IU from Paul since Paul is now appealing to Philemon's sense of values due to his own life being changed. One life over here, one life over there. They become equals. Equal in the the sight of the Lord. doesn't matter that one has a lot of money and he has a lot of property and the other guy was a slave or, you know, somebody like that. It really doesn't matter what God puts us in this world. The thing that we got to do is do it to the best of our ability, because people are watching us. we go to work, you work hard, you do you know as much work i, I don 't believe in one hundred ten percent I believe one hundred percent is everything everybody has you know i don 't know where this extra ten percent would come from, but really and truly, I mean we have a boss at work that we you know we work hard for him, we be honest, you know we do the things we 're there on time, we leave on time, you know sometimes that 's tough you oversleep or whatever but you give an example of who you are in Jesus Christ you know and that's what we do around our family and hopefully they see it And sometime they, and the ones who aren't saved say wow I, I really understand what dad's doing or grandpa or grandma or mom and you know um, and it's as a result of the gospel that was preached by Paul to these two men that they changed he was faithful in the service that God called him to do and then beyond what we do in the world the lord's called us to do things in the church everybody has a gift and everybody has a way that they can use them and and share within the body of christ itself and outside of here and that's something that we should always consider and look at ourselves and say you know where am i today in the body of christ where am i in calvary chapel lakeside what am i doing and how am i serving the lord in a way that will be for the benefit of everybody but also for the love of God and who God is. Verse 20. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Benefit in this context means joy. Saints, show me some joy. Make the right decision. Refresh my heart in Christ, you know. Um, Do the right thing and forgive him, Nesimus, for the crime like Jesus forgave you and me and took the sins to the cross cross is the common denominator there, too. All of this, all of this nonsense, all of this stuff, all of everything goes to the cross. Nothing. Never hold anything back. I mean, um, there's always something, you know, about committing 100%. Well, I want to hold 1% back, Lord. Uh Uh-uh. He wants 100%. Well, can I hold 10%? No. I want 100% of who you are. And that's difficult. I know it's very difficult for me. You know, they start down that road and then get sidetracked a little bit or whatever. But you come back and say, okay, Lord, I'm focusing. I want you to help me. I want you to, you know, lead and guide and direct my life and whatever that is. And if that happens, you're on the right road. And the greatest things in your life happen. Verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. So he's confident. Paul was full of hope that Philemon would fulfill his christian duty and forgive that's who we are as christians it doesn't matter what my next door neighbor did you know it doesn't matter that you know he did something that was totally out of line what am i supposed to do go over and beat him up no what am i supposed to do Browbeat him no i'm supposed to go over there and say you know jesus loves me i love you and i forgive you that's hard sometimes you know you're looking at circumstances instead of looking at god and um, it's the same way in life with everybody. Um, just, you know, it's, it's totally showing the love of God for one another. And that's what we do in this fellowship, you know. And I don't know everybody. I've been here a couple of years, and I honestly don't know everybody like I should. We were talking about this yesterday morning at the men's Bible study. It's like um, I really want to get to know everybody because that's the only way that we can function as a, as a body. We know each other. We know you don't have to know everything about them, but you have to know people in a way that's personal because the Lord might put us together, any one group of us together, and then we already have broken the ice. We've already gone ahead. We've already understand where we we are, what we're doing, and how we can get together. That's a key. It's a big key, and it's big for us. We're a small church, and we can do great things. We can do humongous things for the Lord. We already have. This church has already done incredible things. Look at the Christmas child. That's amazing. Big churches don't do that. I mean, it's because people get together. The Lord is in it. The Holy Spirit's leading it. And it just comes together so well. So the last portion is verse 22 to 25. It's these salutations and conclusions. So, and one thing, one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. A papyrus, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You notice Mark and Luke are in there, the authors of the gospel. That's the stamp of approval on Paul, that he was an apostle. He was accepted by the other apostles. So, in closing, there's a few things that we want to take away today. Um, there's probably a list of things, but I kind of narrowed it to three. And uh, the first one is, everyone was a, a slave to sin, a fugitive from the Lord. But now after our salvation, we are useful parts of the body of Christ, using our call and gifts for Jesus Christ, which the Lord says in Romans 11.29, for the gifts of God and his call are irrevocable. In other words, He's not going to take them back. If he gave us gifts, and he, we have gifts. There's some gifts that we can even ask for the Lord to give us. If, he's, if they're there and he's put them in us, he's not taking them back. Even if we don't use them, we need to use our gifts. It will make the body of Christ strong. It will make this church strong. And in going ahead, we're going to need that. The world outside is on an um, exponential scale of evil. It used to be on a gradual scale. Now... With the, with the knowledge and computers and everything else that's going on in the world. It's exponential. It grows at an alarming rate. So we can deny our gifts, and we can run away from them. We can ignore them, but it's always going to be there. You know, they're not going to go away. So we may as well step up to the plate, so to speak, and hit a home run, and take them, and see what God will do in our lives with them, because it's going to be amazing With comes out of that, you know. And um, so why not accept it? Get moving in what the Lord's called us to do. Uh, Put those gifts in use. Open the door to things you would never have imagined that he would ever have accomplished in us in his name. He's using people, you know. We're ordinary people. You know, ordinary people do extraordinary things for God. You've heard that many, many times. And we see it. We see it every day. And the result will be a joyful Christian life. We'll be whistling, going down the street and skipping, and people will be saying, hey, what's the matter with that guy? Is he just like Mike McIntosh? Well, what's wrong with that guy? When you're in the world, something's wrong with him. When you're not in the world and you're following the Lord, you think, wow, I want to be more like him. I want to be that guy. The second thing is our guilt was great and our penalty severe. We were all destined for hell. And know this, everything about our shortcomings and sins were paid for at the cross. You can put that in the way of your call and say, well, look at me. Forget it. Put it at the cross. Put it there. Accept and believe that any guilt and penalty for our sins is washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's gone. You know, let it go. The price has been paid in full. It cost the Father in heaven, his son on the cross, to die and be risen again. And go back to the father. That's what it cost him. It cost him everything. I can't imagine what that would be to give up, you know, your son. You know, Abraham was asked to give up his son. You know, we read that in the book of Genesis. And, and Abraham was faithful to do everything he had to do. And this wasn't a small son. This was a big son. He was older. So they were going there and they were talking about it. And they had the wood for the fire and everything else. And, um, um, Isaac asked, you know, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, the Lord will provide the sacrifice, you know. And that's just like putting our sins on the cross, putting everything, putting the shortcomings that we have to Jesus. He paid the price. It's there. We need to, we need to take it and run with it. So uh, finally, our intercessor, our advocate was a good Jew, and he paid the price for our transgressions no matter what they are. In John 15:15, 15, 15, it says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I called you friends for everything I have learned from my father. I've made known to you. And this is the benefit we have today. We have the Bible. We have all these books. In the old days, in Paul's day, they didn't have these. They had scrolls that they wrote and things that were written down and things like that, but most of it was done through the teaching of people going out and sharing it, and passing it along. And, and, um, and look what happened then. The church grew incredibly. You know, the church grew on a high magnitude. You know, I remember the early days in Calvary Chapel, um, at Costa Mesa and Horizon and other churches. Uh, people used to come to church to see what was going to happen. It's like, what's going to happen today at church? Because there was happening things. And this was the days of the hippies and, and people coming in and coming out. And the, the music was, in, was different. And Chuck Smith took that on. But I think he really took it on because of Kay. I think Kay loved these kids and she convinced Chuck that we should open our heart to these people. They were in a tent at that time when they first started. They moved from a little white church to a tent. And people were getting saved on Friday night in the tent. But then they got into a building. And they still had the same kind of group and so worship guys. Some of these worship guys were smoking weed. Were, some of them had to come out of jail on the day or the night to Chuck. one of them there because they had to serve a little bit of time and stuff like that. But it didn't matter. And I don't think Chuck was aware of all of that at that moment. But later on, it still worked for the good of the Lord, you know. And um, so things happened. People came to the Lord in numbers, in real big numbers in those days because they saw what was going on, and they saw that um, Calvary Chapel and other churches were reaching out. I know when they built the new church that the elders with Chuck said, hey, you can't let those hippies in. They don't have any shoes on their feet, and the oil will wreck the rock. So what what was Chuck's answer? Pick up the rock. Get rid of the rock. So so today, um, we all know the Lord. We all know what he requires us to do. We all need to understand what our gifts are. And as we as we go along through life here, in our daily life and in our, our Christian life here, which is combined daily and Christian, that we should focus and pray about what it is that God called us to be in this fellowship. It's no accident that we're all here together. You know, there's no coincidences with God. This is a real reason why all of us, as we look at each other here today, and, you know, to pray about bringing in the young people, you know, somehow show us, Lord, how can we reach the young and bring them into the Lord? How can we, um, how can we minister to them? How can we um, give them the gospel, you know, and then see how God uses us for that? So with that said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that We can gather in a place where we don't have to fear for our lives, Lord. And we thank you for Jesus most of all who suffered and died for us. And we just thank you for all the benefits and the love and the grace and the thanksgiving that we have because we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, Lord. And I just pray for those in our families and our friends. And there might be anybody here today that might not know Jesus Christ. We pray for that today, Lord. We cry out for them. And we just pray that they would come to that saving grace that we came to, Lord, and understand what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.